This person reached out again. We met a second time. The person continued to tell me more about the nonprofit, never asked me to donate. And so I didn't donate. And then we met a third time. And at the end of the third time, no ask came about still. And finally, I had to say, okay, how do I just give you money? Like, can I give you money? And, that, and then they're like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, all right, man, like it shouldn't be this tough. Like, Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. If you've listened to this podcast for more than 10 seconds, you know that my entire goal is to get you to schedule more visits. Most major gift fundraisers fail in this industry because they do not do the difficult, scary work of scheduling visits with the right people consistently. The majority of my success in major gifts came from constantly seeking to become as effective as possible at scheduling visits. I read tons of sales books, watched YouTube videos from sales experts, and studied Jerry Pandas' materials on the matter. On top of that, I practiced. The things I learned from experts gave me the confidence to actually make the calls. Today, I have a great resource that I highly recommend you download. Greg Warner from MarketSmart, this episode's sponsor, has put together a guide to help you schedule more visits. It's titled, Top 10 Tips for Landing More Meetings. Not only does Greg run a company that enables major gift fundraisers to be more effective, but he is a successful entrepreneur that has scheduled countless meetings and been on the receiving end of many people trying to schedule meetings with him. He knows a thing or two about this subject and provides 10 great tips, starting with a quote from someone you know I talk about on this podcast all the time, Jerry Panis. Greg is the real deal, and this guide will help you schedule more visits. Go download it now at imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. The bonus tip, number 11, is my personal favorite. Let me know what you think. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. Uh, I got a really great episode for you this week. Um, I realized the episode, the solo episode I did, uh, Sales versus Major Gifts, is one of the most popular episodes of this show. So I brought someone on uh, to discuss this a little bit more, somebody who's got a huge background in sales, and uh, he's got some great things to say about this. So let me introduce you to this week's guest, Jake Savage. Jake discovered his passion for persuasive communication in 2007 when he got a job as a door-to-door sales rep. Since then, he's knocked on nearly 100,000 doors. He sold millions of dollars worth of products, and he's led his own sales team to the Inc. 500 list of fastest-growing companies in America twice. Today, he hosts the podcast Persuasion School, and he has his own consulting firm teaching anti-trafficking nonprofit fundraising teams how to win bigger donations. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Jake Savage. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Jake. Thanks so much for being here. Man, Kevin, I am ecstatic to be here. Appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, for sure. So if you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Before I do a little intro. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, Snapshot is I'm a former door-to-door salesman. 
So I knocked on about a hundred thousand doors over the course, almost, almost a hundred thousand over the course of about seven years throughout high school, college and afterwards. And then I jumped in to uh, help launch a sales startup with a handful of other people. My job there was to build and train a team of salespeople around the nation. So I spent the last seven years doing that. We hit some fun milestones together, like Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the nation twice uh, while I was the president there. And then this year in 2021, I transitioned to launch my own consulting business. So my passion for the last 10 years has been to fight human trafficking, but didn't quite know how to go about doing that. And so when the pandemic hit, kind of had a little bit of a, a realization. And uh, so this, with this transition, what I'm doing now is I'm leveraging corporate sales methods to help nonprofit fundraising teams win bigger donations and primarily anti-trafficking teams. So that's, yeah. that's me in a, in a snapshot real quick. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so yeah, here's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast is because I've gotten some of the most engagement I've had on LinkedIn and on my podcast is when I make content about sales versus major gifts. Mm -hmm. I think these two are extremely uh, similar in obviously there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities and some people feel very strongly the other way. And they're like, no sales is nothing like, like fundraising. There's nothing we can learn from them. And, uh, and yeah, so like my, my podcast episode I did on that topic, uh, it was the, the, like of all 50 episodes I've done, it was number five most downloads, which is, which is crazy that people are super into this topic. Yeah, I love it. And and so when I saw you, you know, within the past several months on LinkedIn, you know, posting stuff and with your background in sales, like to you, it's a no-brainer that mm-hmm. like, hey, I done really well in sales. I've got some stuff I can offer the nonprofit community and I 100% agree with you, but yeah. there's some people who <laughs> don't see this connection. Sure. So, Let's start there and just, yeah, like, what do you see in your mind as like, why do you think there's some connection between what you've learned and accomplished over the past several years to helping out nonprofits? Right. Yeah. I I think the reason that people don't agree, this is my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. I think the reason people probably disagree with the idea that sales and fundraising overlap is because their definition of sales is different from mine. So there, there is a stigma that exists around salespeople, and rightly so. I'm not saying it's undeserving. It's rightly so because, and that dates back to like the early 50s and 60s prior to the internet, where if you wanted to go purchase something, you could not, you didn't have access to information. You know, it wasn't available to you. So information was asymmetrical, meaning that only salespeople had information or access to this information about the cars you wanted to buy, the homes you wanted to buy, the appliances you wanted to buy, et cetera. You had to trust a salesperson. And because many people are fallible, a lot of salespeople took advantage of that and manipulated customers. And uh, and that developed this stigma where we all think about like a used car salesman, right? That stigma, it still exists today, but it, it, it predates the internet. So in reality, there are plenty of great salespeople today the stigma should be long gone, but it's not. And so that's most people's definition and understanding of sales. Where for me, sales is about identifying what somebody's goals are for themselves and then framing what I'm offering in a way that helps them to meet those goals. 
And that's how fundraising should be. It should never be about, hey, come give me money or give us money. We need to flip the script and say, hey, potential donor, what are your own goals for yourself? Here's how donating to our campaign or our mission can actually help you accomplish your goals. It's pure sales in my book, at least. Yeah. A hundred percent. That that's so good. And I and I think that what you're saying, um, you know, about that uh that difference of information and salespeople like having this, you know, more information that other people can't access before the internet, uh, that's that's so important. And I think so what you're saying, I completely agree with. Salespeople have the ability to salespeople used to and still do have the ability to manipulate customers. People in the nonprofit world think that that's what all of sales is. And one of the things I want people in the nonprofit world to understand is that fundraisers can manipulate people just as much as salespeople do. And I've I've seen it. It's it's not something that is exclusive to, to like salespeople are bad and nonprofit people are good. Like you can lie about what's going on at your nonprofit. And I, I've seen it happen many times. So don't think just because you're in this like noble industry, you're a good guy. And because somebody else is, you know, making an income off commissions that they're bad. Uh, there's, there's good people and bad people in, in every profession. But I think sales, there's just so much more data and training and just good information on how to get results, which is what I think there's a lot you have to offer and just the sales industry in general does to nonprofits. Yeah. Appreciate that. I mean, they're because a lot of these corporations are driven by the bottom line, they're going to do whatever it takes to increase that bottom line. And that's why companies are investing heavily into sales training. You know, we're being taught psychology. I, I actually am about to start a master's program in psychology because I've fallen in love with learning about this stuff ever since I was a 15-year-old door-to-door salesman. Like we've been taught psychology. We've been taught, you know, bits and pieces of neuroscience. We know the ins and outs of negotiation and persuasion because it's it's an investment to try to train your team to well be, make sure that they're well equipped so that they can move the needle. And I think my observation, again, opinion, I could be wrong, but my observation for most sales, for most fundraisers, sorry, fundraisers, is they tend to be operating off of like some of them, a hope and a dream. I don't want to generalize, but it does seem like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this person about my mission and kind of hope that they're willing to give. Or, you know, I've spoken with some, some nonprofit fundraisers for uh, groups that are bringing in over a hundred million dollars in revenue a year, so massive nonprofits and their fundraisers. The only KPIs that they were re- responsible for just having eighteen face-to-face meetings per month, not not closing any deals, not winning any more donations. Just meet with them and kind of cross your fingers, hoping that they give. Yeah. So there's a big difference yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a huge difference, and and uh, yeah. So when you were talking about you know a hope and a prayer, one of my favorite examples. I was at a I was at an event um, at a like a local community foundation, and they brought in some some philanthropists, and they were talking about uh, just their experience. You know, on the other side of the table, getting asked for money, and one guy was saying. <laughs> uh, 
you know, the one of the worst experiences he had, or he just thought it was funny, I think, because it was so ridiculous, is he got a letter in the mail from some, <laughs> from some you know, person working at whatever organization, and they were like, hey, Bob, uh, I just want to let you know, we, uh, we received in prayer that God wants you to give a hundred thousand dollars to oh, our organization. Wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, as soon as I receive that from God, I'll be sending the money, but uh, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. So yeah, yeah. I, I think there's like, <laughs> obviously that is an absurd tactic. Uh, but yeah, people do stuff like that. And, and again, yeah, there we go. Like, let's talk about like, that's manipulation. Uh, done by a fundraiser. That's, God, yeah. God told us you were going to give us a hundred thousand dollars. That's um, that's pretty unbelievable, you know. And I think, like you said, perfect example of manipulation. But just real quick to speak to any faith-based nonprofits that are listening, I do hear a lot of because because I'm in that space. I'm a believer, and but I also I have a different perspective. I think than most because you know I hear some of these guys say like we're just praying that God. Um, like leads these people to give. And I'm like, cool, but I think you should pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. You know, like you, you've been given talents, you've been given gifts and skill sets, utilize them. What are you right. doing? Not asking people to give, ask them to give. There's nothing wrong with asking <laughs> yeah. them to give. Like, so anyways, yeah, people should be taking more action. I think. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. So you've got, uh, in you know having knocked on close to a hundred thousand doors uh you've got some stories from the sales profession that i think people would be interested in um so yeah what comes to mind is just like one of your one of your favorite stories from your career man i have a lot but i i think in the spirit of this podcast being titled one visit away there's there's one story that stands out to me, which is actually from when I was selling cars. So I did have a stint selling cars before going back to door to door. And so basically I was um, in uh, in Denver, Colorado, worked at a Hyundai dealership. And I had this, this uh, older couple drive about three hours in. They lived in a remote mountain town outside of, uh, outside of Denver. And so they drive three hours in and they're looking for a car for the wife. So they test drive a bunch of different cars. They, because they live so far away, they wanted yeah. to make sure they got all their test driving in in one day. And they did it with one person, which was me. And, and car salespeople <laughs> usually are like not super excited to do that. Because if, if you don't end up buying a car, I just spent 10 right. hours driving you around Denver. Yeah. You know, so of course, so we, we finish one. They ask for another one. We finish a test drive. They ask to drive another one. We kind of go back and forth. Finally, the sun has long gone down. And it's like now 9 p.m. <laughs> Past the dealership, past when the dealership closed. Like we closed the doors at 8, 8 p.m. It's 9 p.m. And we're we're sitting at the table, at my table, finally going over some numbers. And we negotiate a price and the husband and wife agree. And again, this is to buy an SUV for the wife. So I stand up from my desk and say, all right, I'm going to go grab the papers for you to sign and we'll get you guys out of here. And I just say to myself, like, thank God this is good. And I like walk into the manager's office to print out the sheet. And I'm about to turn around to walk back to my desk. And my manager says, hey, did you ask the husband if he wants a car too? And I was like, what? 
<laughs> what are you talking about? Did I ask the husband if he wants a car too? No. Like, they, and I explained to him the whole deal. And he says, well, if you never ask, you'll never know. Like, let's just go ask them. And so he actually gets up out of his chair and he walks across the floor. Now I'm following my manager back to my desk. Nobody's there except for us. It's super late. And he sits down right in front of them. And he says, hey, guys, the way I see it, you drove three hours to get here. You test drove every car in the lot and you know exactly what you want. So given that's the case, you know, would you like to buy a car as well, sir? And he looks at the husband. And the husband and wife look at each other and then they look back at me and my manager and they shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, sure. We'll take another car. (laughs) Just mind blown. Just mind blown. So that was a huge learning lesson for me that like you have nothing to lose by just asking. And sometimes, you know, it's like low risk, high reward, you know? So that's one of the, the stories that has always stuck with me. Yeah, I, I I love that, and you know, not only uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many things there, but one of them is, and it comes back to what leads to success in major gifts is understanding your benefactor. So, like, it wasn't just randomly like, oh, like while you're here, why don't you just buy two cars? Why don't you buy five? It was like you live three hours away, you seems like they have the money like they they might be a retired couple they they got money to buy whatever car they want and uh and it's just gonna like you know they're gonna want to buy another car at some point so they're gonna go through this hassle again and yeah they they might they might have this is the thing that i that i tell people all the time in terms of fundraising is that one of the reasons we have to present people with opportunities and we can't rely on just like whatever they come back with is that they're not professional money giver awayers most of the time. Occasionally they are. So like they don't know what the process looks like to give a significant gift to an organization because it's not their, it's not their job. Um, so we as the development professional can guide them in this process. And simply by the fact that we show them, like this is what it looks like to give a $50,000 gift to our organization. Simply by presenting them with that opportunity, making the ask is what allows them to realize and like gives themselves permission to say like, yeah, I can do this and I want to do this. And so it's very possible they might've even been speaking among themselves like, man, like it would be, it would be kind of nice to get, you know, maybe the husband made some comment to his wife, but they didn't bring that up to you because Ooh. for whatever reason, they're just, I don't know. They, they don't think about doing that. But as soon as you presented it to them, they were like, clearly they, they wanted to do it in some way. And you just speaking it out loud is what allowed them to make that, that decision. And like, now they've got, two new cars and they're probably still driving them and loving it. Right, 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 man. So what you're talking about here is like a a psychological principle of projection. And this is what a lot of salespeople struggle with. And like you're, you brought up an excellent point that they may have already had this conversation and probably want to do it. uh, wanted to do it, but a lot of salespeople and fundraisers alike will project their own emotional feelings or thoughts on something onto 
the stakeholder thinking there's no way I would buy another car right now. There's no way I would give a $50,000 gift. So how could I possibly ask them to do so? And that's, that's shooting yourself in the foot. You're not that person and you shouldn't be making decisions for them. And so therefore, like you said, I mean, it, it never hurts to just ask and they could be in an entirely different position, but don't project your own thoughts or feelings onto a stakeholder. Exactly. And that, that is, I think, all the more true for fundraisers because there just necessarily is this massive disconnect many times between our financial situation and the financial situation of the people we're talking to. So like if you're like most people who didn't grow up, you know, super wealthy and now you work at a nonprofit and make $50,000 a year and you're meeting with people like you, you, you just can't understand. It doesn't make any sense to you what it's like to earn $5 million a year. It just doesn't compute. And so at least when you're like new to this world. And so, so yeah, like <laughs> just the idea that somebody could on the fly just decide here's $25,000. You just can't, it, it, you can't understand that. And so, so you don't, you don't present them with the opportunity and yeah. And so they don't give the gift and then somebody else does somebody exactly. else does ask them and that's who they give the money to. Exactly. And you know, if you, if you're one of those people that feels like you need to try to wrap your head around it in order to ask somebody else to do it. I, and I think this takes a little bit of practice. So first off, the more that you ask, uh, the more, times you're going to hear people say yes. And that will change your, your thought patterns to realize, okay, this is possible. But if you need help right now, like if you've never asked for a major gift and you've never received one and you just can't wrap your head around it, then definitely think about it in terms of a ratio. You know, like people that make 5 million a year that give 50K or whatever, that's like a, you know, is that 1%? That's 1%. So what's 1% of a $50,000 salary? 50 or five, 500 bucks. Okay. So like, you know, think about it in terms of ratio. What would it feel like for you to give 500, not to give 5,000, right? Or sorry, 50,000. So what would it be for you to give 500 versus 50,000? 500 may still feel sizable if you're on a 50K salary, but you can still sort of pallet that a little bit more. It will help you wrap your head around it. So that's what you're asking for. You're not asking for 50 grand. You're asking for 500, you know, if we're talking about equivalent ratios here. So that's a good way to start. Yeah. 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 That's great. I love that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a great story. And uh, yeah. Any others uh, come to mind? Yeah. Another story would be from Basemakers. And so Basemakers is that sales company that I helped start with people that I was the president of. So we're, we're an outsourced sales team for emerging food and beverage brands. So any sort of hot new like energy drink or maybe protein bar, there's a good chance yeah, that yeah. we work with them. And our salespeople will go into grocery stores and represent multiple brands at once. And Any and- Shark Tank companies? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. Do you know... Um, did Have you seen one called Genius Juice recently? They were on Shark Tank. It's like a coconut smoothie. They did a little song, a little jingle. With all like I think, I, miss, I, think I, I haven't seen like the probably the past three episodes or so. Uh, okay. So yeah, we've worked with them. Then there's another okay. one we work with called Slate Chocolate Milk. It's like chocolate milk. Yeah, yeah. Adults. 
Yep, yes. we work with those guys. Sweet. Um, probably some more <laughs> if I thought thought about it. I know almost every every founder uh, of a food and beverage brand that's on Shark Tank. I mean, I yeah. work with them all, but it's it's actually a pretty like close knit industry, so we know each other. But yeah, that's um, awesome. <laughs> so you know, one 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 thing that has also stood out to me was there was a brand. It's called Lesser Evil, and they make uh, like organic puffs and uh, and popcorn, and you can find it in pretty much any store actually in the nation. Yeah, but they were one of our biggest clients for a long time, and uh, the founder and I had been connected somewhere, and we had multiple calls, and he he said he was interested, but we never really got him to commit, and. And at one point, it, things just sort of fizzled out. And then one day, I was on the computer, sort of looking through my list of potential brands to reach out to, and his name popped up. And I looked, and it had been a few months. And I thought, I'm just going to give this guy a call. Forget an email. I'm just going to give him a call out of the blue. So I give him a call, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, Jake, thank you for calling me. Yeah, I mean, I've been so busy, but yeah, let's get the ball rolling. I want to spend ten grand a mo- month with you. Go ahead and send the contract over. I'll sign it back today. Sign it and send it yeah. back over today, and let's go." So for me, it was like, "Oh my gosh!" I almost just let this go because I think I thought maybe yeah. he wasn't interested, or you know, I didn't want to be too pushy, right? I didn't want to send too many follow up emails. Yeah, yeah. Here I am calling this guy. He thanks me for calling, and then says, right. "Let's start with a budget of ten grand a month." That's a yeah. pretty solid starting budget. And we ended up yeah. scaling from there. And then, yeah, he sent the signed contract over that day. And the next month we were starting together. So yeah. the thing is, I, I, again, I think it just comes back to like projections. We often project what we feel. We're scared we're going to offend someone or put too much pressure. And yeah, you can put too much pressure at times, but I think it just takes knowing yourself a little <laughs> bit and realizing when to pull back. But that was one yeah. where it was, it was a total green light. And uh, I'm glad yeah. I did it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's it. There's so so many times uh, things are just about timing, you know, whether it's whether it's sales or fundraising. Um, it's just if you're in front of the buyer or the benefactor at the time they're ready to make a decision, you're more likely to to get that, you know, yes towards whatever it is. So like. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, so many times people, people sell a business or they come into an inheritance or whatever it is. And so, so that's one of the reasons I'm so big on like why, why being in real relationships with your benefactors is key when you're, you know, like you might be visiting face to face with them once a quarter or twice a year, but you're on the phone with them, hopefully, you know, once a month or, you know, some interaction that isn't just what most organizations do, which is here's the letter we send you once a year asking you for your annual gift is like, you're going mi- to what one, they're just not going to be close enough with your organization to want to give a significant gift, but also you're going to be missing out on those key times in life when there is an ability to make a much larger gift. So yeah, like you just, you just gotta, like, you've got to be in touch with people and you've got to be top of mind. Yeah. And just willing to put yourself out there. You know, if they say no, big deal, man, you know, funny, funny time. I'm so excited about this one thing that just happened. So, uh, my 30th birthday just occurred this week. And oh dang! Yeah, I didn't realize you were that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Old man. Uh, yeah. So I, my brothers, 
for my birthday. Have you heard of that app Cameo? No. <laughs> All right. So there's this app where you can pay a celebrity to like say happy birthday to you or congrats yeah. on whatever life event. Right. So yeah. <laughs> my brothers know that I love the office and yes. uh, you know, David Wallace, the actor, or the, <laughs> the character on the office. So they get him. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, dude, these, these messages are supposed to just be like, and you suck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. They, uh, yeah, these they're these are supposed to be like two minute messages where they just pop on and they say, "Hey, Jake, happy birthday!" Congrats. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, so my brothers, my brothers get David Wallace or Andy Buckley, the actor, to do this. Um, but then the actor thought he would go to my Instagram just to see. All right, let me see who this guy is before I say happy birthday. Yeah, he sees my link to my podcast. He checks it out. He listens to an episode, listens to another episode, listens to another, like listen to several episodes, ends up like really loving the podcast. And he brings that up in the, in the, uh, wow. Yeah. In the, in the little video that he sends me, he talks about persuasion school and he like went on for a while, which was pretty cool. So I dude, I just messaged him on Instagram yesterday and I was like, yeah. I'd like to extend an invitation for you to jump on the podcast. Yes. Great. You could talk to us about what it's like to persuade the audience to buy into you as a character. He responded back saying, absolutely. So now I'm going to interview Dang. him on the podcast. <laughs> like, that just, is so cool. But I honestly probably would not have asked had I not had this background in sales. I would have thought, oh, there's no way that this actor is right. going to jump on my podcast. It's not many people know about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah, Dude, that, yeah. So that is epic. So, so yeah. So that was something we didn't mention at the beginning. So Jake has a, a podcast called Persuasion School where he just like talks about all kinds of stuff related to you know, sales, fundraising, getting raises, whatever. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, you know, corporate sales stuff, psychology, um, and it's awesome. So yeah, that, yeah but that, that is so cool that you, yeah. that you got them on there. And that's, that comes into another, you know, point that, yeah, like you have to ask for things. He, he loved the podcast and th this is the mistake. This is the mistake that so many fundraisers make. They know how important the mission is and they know what the need is. So if they wanted to help, they would. That's And so people just don't ask because they're like, I presented them with all of the information. I showed them that giving to this organization helps so much and they can accomplish great things. So if they didn't give, it's because they're not in a position to. And, and so like, that's what, so what you're saying, if you didn't have that sales background, most people would say, well, if he wanted to be on the podcast, he would have, he knows I'm looking for great guests and it would be huge for, for me. That would be way more meaningful than this message. So he, he would do it if he, if he wanted to. Right. And so we don't ask. Such and a then, great point. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Well, you know, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Uh, studies have been done on this, uh, on, on like the effectiveness of sales calls and, and where people tend to go wrong with sales calls. And they have found that typically on average, 60% of salespeople will never ask for the deal. They will sit there on the phone or in person and they will just run circles around the client talking about all the, the benefits of the product. But then they just sort of like leave it hanging in the air, waiting for the, the potential client to say, okay, well, how can I buy? And they never ask them to actually buy. And obviously fundraisers are the same. And man, I had a personal experience with this. So Basemakers, uh, this company, we, we wanted to give a percentage of our profits away to an anti-trafficking group. 
And I met with somebody from a fundraising team of an organization. And this person sat down and showed me everything about their nonprofit and all the great work they were doing. Didn't ask to donate. Okay. First meeting fair, but I was like ready, you know, and maybe not all donors would, but, and this, this is a portion of our company's profits. It's not me personally. So it was going to be a big check. And even so I was ready to go, but no ask came. This person reached out again. We met a second time. The person continued to tell me more about the nonprofit, never asked me to donate. And so I didn't donate. And then we met a third time. And at the end of the third time, no ask came about still. And finally, I had to say, okay, how do I just give you money? Like, can I give you money? And then they're like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, all right, man, like it shouldn't be this tough. Like, Right, right. And, and, and this, this goes back to my point earlier is like, you're, you wanted to give money away, but you're not a professional money giver away. Like you, like you, you were yeah. waiting for them to guide you in this process of like, yes. how do I give you this money? And we all like, it feels awkward to have to say, how do I give you money? Like, um, and, yeah. and it, like, it's just so much better to be like, when you meet with a financial advisor, they don't just sit around and like, wait for you to tell them what to do that like they understand what you want to accomplish and then they say this is how we could move forward together and accomplish this like do you want to do it like exactly exactly and when it lines up people say yes man you know we we have to get over this as as fundraisers and actually this exact thing is uh something that would have caused airbnb to fail in the beginning because when it first launched it was just it was the the same exact platform but you didn't pay up front you'd actually go stay at the person's house and then you were supposed to take care of the transaction there um still still via like an app but it was in person but the host felt so awkward asking the person to pay that it just became this train wreck. And sometimes people wouldn't pay and Airbnb wasn't actually making the money they were hoping to. So then they had to take control basically mm-hmm. and make it so that people had to pay up front. But just goes to say like us as people, it's so, it can be so awkward for us. It does not need to be is the point. It doesn't right. need to be, but it is. And that prevents us from ever being able to like make any progress or, or help some of these bigger missions that, you know, need really need these donations to survive. And we need to realize that a lot of these people want to give. It's not, it's not like even a burden sometimes to give 50 grand. Like they want to give 50 grand. Yeah. Help them do what they want to do. People like, yes. Yeah. And going back to, you know, people at with Airbnb, by the way, I I would imagine you've heard this, but the, the, how I built this podcast episode on Airbnb is epic. Yeah. So everybody go listen to that if you haven't yet. But um, many times our attempt to not be awkward is what makes things super awkward. Oh, that's good. So like they didn't want to ask you for a gift in that situation because they thought it would be awkward. They were like, right. or, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to rush things. I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm letting Jake know that I'm not here just for the money. I care about him. And so we like tiptoe around things. And by the very fact that we're trying to make it not awkward, we make it super awkward because nobody can move forward even if they want to. And so, so yeah. that's the key is, is finding out is understanding 
is this person ready to make a purchasing decision or a giving decision? And if they are, let's move forward. And, and let's not just like, well, like I, I hate one of the things some fundraisers say is like, well, never ask for a gift on a first visit. It's like, why? What if the person wants you to ask them for a gift? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I understand the notion behind why you would yeah. think that it's not okay. Um, but hey, every interaction is different. If you've built the rapport and they want to, like you're saying, just read the room, read the room and know when to know when to go for it. Um, yeah. So, so you can ask, this is where like, you know, asking good questions is key. And I'll give, I'll give an example here since we're doing this sales versus major gifts things. I'll, I'll give an example from yeah. my sales experience in, you know, getting clients for my consulting business. Uh, there is, so there's an organization uh, that was a prospective client of mine and they're a huge organization um, <clears throat> and I'll keep it pretty vague, but yeah, very large organization, much larger of an organization than I would typically work with. But I, I was meeting with the leader of this organization and like he knew it was about having a conversation of whether or not they were going to hire me to train them on major gifts. And, and, you know, I was a little bit intimidated by this meeting because it's like, like, it's a big deal yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for me. And, and I was, and I felt a little bit like, man, why is this person meeting with me? Like they could hire they could get anybody they wanted to to train them on this, um, you know. And there's <laughs> there's people with much longer track records and you know bigger. I don't know, like just people who are much more well known and well respected. And and so one of the things I asked this person in this first meeting was like we're having all the, this discussion and you know things are kind of moving along, but I, I I don't fully know the temperature of the room just yet. And so I just asked why did you agree to meet with me? Mm. And, and I like said that, like I said those things, like you, like, like there's, you could hire anybody. Why did you agree to meet with me? And then they went on to say a bunch of things about like how much they respected me and what they've seen me accomplish for other organizations. And like, I was the person they wanted to hire. And yeah. so it was like, okay. And so like, now we just fast forwarded through, you know, maybe three minutes of me trying to figure out through like, I'm just going to tiptoe around it. It was like, instead, just ask them and then, you, and then you'll just know. And so by the end of that meeting, uh, you know, we had a plan to move forward with a proposal and get a contract in place. And it was like, that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have asked the very like direct question of why are you taking the time to meet with me? Mm. Man, I think that that's pretty insightful. And you said three minutes, but for some people that could have been three months of reporting. Oh, yeah. Like, let's take this slowly. Oh, let's no, no. I, uh, sorry. I, I, I meant to say three meetings. Oh, like, oh, oh okay, okay. Like, you okay. know, do so this. Exactly, yeah, multiple. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did. You saved a lot of time. Um, and I think that uh, that's, that's a powerful uh, takeaway, which is anybody that's a high net worth, if we're talking major gifts, right, from a high net worth individual. These people are not dumb. They didn't make their money because they didn't know what they were doing in life. You know, like they're, they're smart people. And if they're taking a meeting with you, there's a good chance they've looked you up and decided that you were worth the time. So these people, you know, if they are making millions of dollars a year, personally, their own income, time is money to them. 
So they're not going to take a meeting with any Joe Schmo, right? They are going to look you up first and decide, is this person or their mission or product, is it worth my time? And then they'll say yes. So I think that's that's key too, is walking into those meetings, already knowing your value or having the boldness like you did to just ask straight up and skip a lot of those sort of like realities yeah. or like intimidating yeah. feelings that you would feel. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's key to remember is they've, they've usually done the research and they're ready to hear right. what you have to say. Yeah. Or yeah. they're already yeah. ready to give maybe. Maybe they're already ready right. to give. Yeah. 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 So like, so that, that's something you can ask like similar question. Like when you, when you're meeting with a potential benefactor, you can, you can ask them things like, how do you go about making significant giving decisions? Uh, you know, it, like I've asked people before many times to like gauge how, like just how interested they are. Like, are we the type of organization that you would be excited to give a gift to? And hearing what they say about that, yeah. uh, you can just ask, you can ask people like, are, do you have enough information to make a decision? Or are there other things that you, you need to know or people you need to meet? And when we can just ask people this directly, one, uh, we find out so much more information than if we were just, you know, doing whatever, but also asking good questions uh, and asking them very directly and with confidence, I think makes benefactors look at us as professionals and like have greater respect that like, we know what we're doing. Um, And we're not just like, well, let's just sit around for, 15 hours over the course of six months and never have a conversation that moves forward what you might want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point, especially when it comes to asking great questions. You know, there's, well, first off, yeah, I love what you're doing because in the world of sales, they're called trial closes. And so you're, you're essentially dropping a little trial close just to see how somebody's going to respond. And yours was, and I love it, I'm probably going to use it too, but how do you go about making a decision to give? So you're just asking them, do you have enough information to make the decision to give? And if they say, yes, I have enough information, like you're starting to test the waters to know, okay, I'm this plane is hovering, we're, we're circling around the landing strip and I'm asking questions. Okay, now I know it's good to go in for the landing. Um, so that's one. But the next thing in per- pertaining to questions is, I, I, I do think it's important to for people and fundraisers especially to ask implication questions so it's one thing like a great example is just if you're gonna, like in car sales simple example if somebody says that they need a new car because their alternator is bad or whatever like that that's a situational problem um and i might say and that's ultimately not the reason that they're buying the car and so instead of me just saying like oh what other types of problems does your car have oh okay the alternator is bad you know you about to blow this head gasket or that is broken or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, clearly time for a new car. No, no, no. What we have to do is ask them what type of implications those problems have on other areas of their life. Oh, so when the car doesn't start in the morning, how does that affect the rest of your day? Oh, you're late for work. So how does being late for work a couple times a week affect like your, your job and what you're trying to accomplish? And then people will say, well, I'm on the verge of getting fired. Okay, so now I know that the problem I'm solving isn't a, a bad alternator in a new car. I'm actually helping you like preserve your career, you know, by selling you this new car. So with a, with a donor, you, you could ask the question of, so how, how would partnering with our organization positively impact your own personal goals for down yeah. the road? And then they're going to verbalize those things back to you 
and strengthen yes. what you're building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And so, so them verbalizing things is so key. And this is, so there's several reasons. Many times as fundraisers, we assume too many things. We assume why people care. We assume, you know, why they've given in the past because it seems obvious to us. It's like, well, yeah, they gave because of this reason. Like that's why everybody gives. Um, but <clears throat> so we, so we never ask. Yeah. Like, so, you know, what was it that caused you to give? And so, and part of the reason that we ask, I part of the reason I teach people to ask that question is one, so we can understand why they choose to give, but then also so that what you said, they can verbalize it and they can like speak out loud. This is why this is so important to me. Same thing in like the in the car sales situation when the customer verbalizes, like. Yeah, this is significantly impacting my ability to get to work, to like be at home on time with my family and do these all all these other things. It helps them to realize this is why it is good for me to make this decision to buy this vehicle. Yes. Same thing when the benefactor says the reason I gave that gift, you know, to uh the homeless shelter is because like my mom was pregnant and homeless when I was like, you know, when I was about to be born and it's like deeply meaningful to me. And, and when they say that out loud, it helps them understand like, yes, uh, this is important to me. And that's why I'm going to give a gift that is going to kind of scare me a little bit because it's so much. Boom. That's exactly <clears throat> the case. And that's because most people, have a tendency to forget the reasons they've heard from other individuals, but they won't forget the reasons they gave themselves. So you may, you may come to a verbal commitment or verbal agreement for a particular gift during the meeting, but time will go by before they wire the money or send the check. And as that time goes by emotions, whatever, like they were feeling in the middle of the meeting for you, that passion for the organization that can fade and fizzle out. And then maybe they lower the gift or they say, Hey, I changed my mind or Hey, something else came up, yada, yada. So before you end the meeting, you do exactly what you just said is you get them to verbalize. And that, 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 that's like a lot of these meetings, you're like setting up a tent without throwing any stakes in the ground. And then you walk away from the tent and the wind blows it away. But when you ask them to verbalize back, you're throwing stakes in the tent so that they can remain confident in that decision to give you to give to you until they actually wire the money or send the check. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, this is a bit of a, a bit of a shift, but I'm just curious. Some of, some of my favorite stories are just like the epic fails of, uh, of, you know, visits that just went all wrong. Do you have any, uh, any favorite stories of sales situations that just couldn't have gotten any worse? <laughs> Oh man. Um, I mean, couldn't have gotten any worse. There are, yeah. I mean, having, having knocked on so many doors, <laughs> I've certainly had, uh, a lot that went wrong. Now, most of the time, the things that went wrong were, uh, because of me, like maybe I was right. Especially in the very beginning, I was trying out so many things. I think that's one benefit. Yeah. yeah. Of, yeah, one yeah benefit. So like, so these are really good. Like the, like the times you screwed up, yeah. like when you, you did something that you should never stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of times when I screwed up or it didn't work, it was because I was 
testing something out or maybe trying something that ultimately like led me to stray from being my authentic self. Um, You know, when I'm interacting with different individuals from a sales perspective and I want to build rapport, I'm going to, I'm going to adjust certain aspects of my communication. I might adjust my volume or I might adjust my tonality or slow down the cadence of my speech, depending on who the person is. Right. Um, Or I might bring more energy to the table or less energy to the table, but no matter what, they will all be variations of, Jake, they'll all be variations of myself. The times I've screwed up or when I like try to adopt a, a totally different personality or style of like another salesperson that was doing really well, I tried to emulate them. And, and I think what happens is, you know, human beings we're, we're so we will make a, we will form a first impression typically in three to four minutes, but our subconscious mind will assess whether or not somebody else is trustworthy in a 10th of a second. So any of those times where I strayed from my authentic self, I think I was sending out signals to the stakeholder, you know, that something is not right. And that that set up set off red flags in their brain saying, I don't know if I can trust this guy. And and therefore it would it would cause the thing to fall apart. Or maybe I would make it like halfway through a presentation, emulating another person. And then eventually my own self does come out. And then they're like surprised. It's like if I spoke to them in a British accent halfway through, stopped and, and went back to America. And they're like, well, okay, forget this guy. Like, what's going on here? Um, and, you know, I, I think one, one concrete example was actually, again, from cars. Because that was, that was one of the more recent experiences that I had. But I remember uh, talking to this couple, test driving some cars with them. And they just told me all day that they didn't have the budget for it. They were just test driving and not for several months would it be until they would buy a car. So their names pop up in my CRM like three weeks later to just ping them and check in. So I call them and they say, oh, oh, yeah, Jake, thanks for following up. You know, we actually drove to a Nissan dealership after yours that day and we ended up buying an Altima. And I was like. Oh my gosh. Like you had told me you weren't even in the market for a car, but here, like clearly I failed in that instance. And they found another salesperson that was able to do a better job of identifying their needs and their goals and, and finding a car that would help them meet their needs. And maybe that day at the, the dealership, maybe I was focused too much on my, my commission or myself. And I was like pushing them too much. I'm, I can't quite remember these days, but I did fail. And I think it was because I put, all right, here, here's the theme. Because I said what I said at first in the car example, I'm recognizing the theme of any time I failed is when I'm focusing on my own needs or my own goals yep. rather than the stakeholder. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So that that right there is the that is why I believe sales and sales done well and major gifts done well is almost exactly the same thing because at the end of the day the like success when it's done well is putting the needs of the customer or the benefactor as priority number 1 um and we can we can check our own like I want to accomplish this cuz I I promise you I've like I've done both of these things and like I've been in sales situations I've been in fundraising situations it is extremely easy to to go into that meeting or that visit saying, I want this outcome and that's the only way I'm going to be happy. And like it, that's just, that that's part of our nature. And so we need to, 
at all times be reminding ourselves, like, I'm here for the benefactor. I'm here to serve them and what they want to accomplish. And if we don't actively seek to do that, we're, we're going to, you know, be slipping back into, well, how does this affect me? Am I going to get that raise that I want? Am I going to get the promotion? Am I just going to get the, uh, you know, the, the applause from those on the team because I closed this huge gift? Like that stuff is always in the back of your mind, whether it's for profit or nonprofit. And we just need to remind ourselves it's about the customer. It's about the benefactor. And when we can do that, that's when real success happens. Man. Yeah. What you just said reminds me of a sales quote from a good old sales trainer, guy who's uh, passed away now, but his name is Zig Ziglar. Indeed. And, okay, cool. You're familiar. Well, he's from your neck of the woods down south. And so yeah, yeah. He, uh, Zig has this quote, which is, uh, you can get everything you want in life if you can just help enough other people get what they want. Yes. And I believe that to be true. And I think it, I think it uh, exemplifies what you just said. It's focusing on helping other people. Don't worry about yourself. It will come back around. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I feel like that's a, a pretty good place to end, Jake. Any uh, any final thoughts or things you'd like to share on the podcast? Uh, yeah. I mean, for one, I would encourage people to check out Persuasion School. Yeah. So we, we take these principles uh, corporate sales methods principles, uh, as well as uh, psychology and neuroscience, and we we convert them to be applicable to everyday life for the masses, so people can negotiate raises, ask people out on dates, just get more of the things that they want in life. And it's a really fun show. So persuasion school, yeah. I would encourage people to check out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, obviously, you've got your business and you're doing a fantastic job. So I don't want to take anything away from that, but if there are any anti-trafficking organizations that want to work with both Kevin and I, feel free to reach (laughs) out. Uh, But I am trying to stick just to anti-trafficking groups uh, for now. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Everybody check out Jake's website. It's jakesavage.co, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Check it out. Check out Persuasion School. He's got some awesome episodes up there. Um, yeah, he's putting out tons. I think you're doing like two episodes a week now, right? Three. No, oh, dang. Yeah. So having a lot of fun with it. But yeah, definitely uh, interviewing a variety of guests. One of the top episodes was an 11-year-old Girl Scout cookie sales rep. Um, yeah, I, I haven't listened to that one yet, but oh, I'm super interested in it. Yeah, pe- <laughs> people love it. Um, and then today I actually interviewed a guy in Istanbul, Turkey, who's a shop owner inside of the Grand Bazaar. If you've ever heard of uh, that, it's yeah. like a super old market. So how he like barters and negotiates with, with people. It's good stuff. Man, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So everybody check out his podcast, Persuasion School. Check out the website. And uh, oh, yeah. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Jake mm-hmm. and I are both pretty active there. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show, Jake. And look forward to talking soon. Yeah. Appreciate the opportunity, Kevin. Thanks, man. That was Jake Savage, host of Persuasion School podcast, as well as a fellow fundraising consultant. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Jake had a bunch of great stories and truly, I think, very valuable insights into what we can learn as fundraisers from the sales world. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Also, let me know what you think about what Jake had to say and what we discussed in this episode. I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away 
from getting David Wallace from The Office to be on your podcast.